from the All Indiana Podcast Network. This is Who's Got Next? Who's Got Next with Wish TV's Charlie Clifford. Now, here's Charlie Clifford. Peter Hood is back. Pedro, you've seen it all this season. I don't know where to begin other than come back with me to New England Sunday postgame where we started to see some red flags in person. The game ends 26-3, fourth quarter of just lost football, really, after that pick six. Anything that went wrong went wrong. Could have went wrong, went wrong. Players are coming back into the locker room. New England fans are actually being nice. I think that was the they big, felt bad. That was the big change I witnessed. <laughs> Two trips to Foxborough, one being Andrew Luck's year in 18, one this year. The big bad Tom Brady not being in New England, running out of the tunnel. There was no more FU stuff about your mom. It was actually a cordial crowd there. I think they probably just felt bad for the Colts, right? Like you <laughs> yes. watch that team play offensively, and you, you can't, you can't be, no. you can't have any resentment or hate toward that. You just feel bad for for where they're for for where they're at right now. The mass holes are actually they they've they got some sympathy. Of being nice <laughs> got, people got some emotions. Players are coming in. Wright comes in every game, home and road. Jim Ursay will come down, and he will be waiting in the locker room for the team. Good win, bad loss, really doesn't matter. We've seen that pretty uniform over the last few years. He is in there waiting. You know, sometimes after a win, he'll say some words. You'll see it on Colts Twitter. I'm assuming after most losses, he's he's probably not addressing the team after every single game. But this time, I'm looking around. Ursay's not here. Where is he coming down? Did he leave? Did he leave the game before it ended? Like that would be that would be a story, right? I'm trying to can't just say that oh Jim's not here you can't put that out there and right. start speculation yeah and then a few minutes later here comes Ursay, and you know it was a similar look stone face on his face that he had leaving Tennessee a few weeks ago when the next day Matt Ryan was benched mm-hmm. obviously you're in the same spot I can't report speculate oh Ursay looks mad it's not going to do you. You tweeted anything. the video. We all saw tweeted it. Tweeted the video. No, you didn't need to say you looked mad. Right. Because he looked mad. Yes. Uh, he leaves the locker room pretty quick. You know, this was not a lengthy visit. Um, I assume Frank talked. I don't know who else may have talked. Uh, we try to get questions with him. He declines politely, uh, politely, excuse me, which wasn't a huge shock i guess but you have to ask in that situation you just got run by your rival right with this you know potential quarterback of the future that was reduced to one of the worst quarterbacking performances you pointed out in in nearly five decades uh 1977 yeah. was the last time the colts had a performance that bad that inefficient offensively so they got to indianapolis in in 1984 so quite literally the worst offensive performance in the history of the indianapolis colts and it, it's not it, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's not unusual for him to decline interviews. He doesn't talk after every game. No. And a lot of times we don't request him or ask. Right. Because you don't verbally. need to. Right. You know, you save those for times of great victories for, you know, maybe a time like this week where you've had so much change and it's applicable and you know he would have a reason to talk. Anyway, that happens. We get through the post game. 
the locker room is, I thought it was a little more chatty than I expected. The After the loss to the commanders, that home locker room at Lucas was essentially dead silent. I have not heard a home game win, obviously a win, a loss like that after a home game. I, I You would have had to go back to the Jacksonville game in 2017 where they allowed eight, 10 sacks, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And that was really the uh, unraveling of Chuck Pagano's final chapter, poor Jacoby Brissett. But this this locker room, you know, is from the sound bites, obviously you read and Colts fans read, leaders upset, you know, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Shaq Leonard, Buckner, Pittman, everything we heard, you know, this is – that was a monumental defeat for all of them. A lot of these guys haven't been beaten like that yeah. in any level of football before. But we do the postgame show. Now I'm thinking back as all this transpired. You know, Chris Ballard, at one point, we're, we're long into the postgame show. I think it took Sam Ellinger 45 minutes to get to the podium because Nelson and Nick Foles had a long chat with him at his locker mm. once he had showered. Mm. It looked like a pump-up speech more than anything. Obviously, that was the worst three hours of football of his life. Um, but we were coming off air, going into a break, and Sky Breeze is past my shoulder. Went, oh, that was Ballard. So at some point, he had left the locker room post-game, gone somewhere for an extended period of time, and came back. Now I'm thinking, oh, did he go on to Jim's, Jim Irsay's bus? Was there a conversation there? Was there a phone call? Because clearly to that point, Ballard had come down into the locker room, <clears throat> excuse me, like midway through the fourth quarter because I was already down there watching the game on TV in the tunnel. So he, I don't think he and Ursay had had a chance to speak, you know, once all the postgame stuff had gotten down. All, all I'm going towards is there clearly, it looked to be like there was some sort of a conversation. Right. But there was over mm-hmm. phone or in person. And then you move this timeline forward to, uh, a call that Jeff Saturday said came in around nine o'clock. Now, as you pointed out, Ursay did talk to Jeff Saturday during the game on Sunday, but publicly what is being said is it was just about the offensive line struggles. What's going on? Ellinger was sacked, what, six times in the first half. Right. Saturday responded, sorry, I wish I could help. I'm not watching the game. He's a paid analyst for ESPN. He kind of has to watch everything. Because they're not just going to talk about the Colts on NFL Nation, especially when they get blown out by 23. If I were Saturday, I wouldn't watch that game either. There you go. A lot of games on. That probably would have been the last on my list I, as an analyst for ESPN to watch. I would love to know how many guys at that Ring of Honor ceremony a couple of weeks ago were actually watching that second half. Can't imagine because many. that's that was tough to put yourself through. Anyway, there's another call that comes in nine o'clock. Um, it sounds like at this point. Saturday is made aware of that there may be a change with the coach. He is then another 1 a.m. call that takes place now Monday morning of, I believe he stated that during this call that, you know, they were going to meet with Frank Reich. Jeff Saturday was aware that this was in motion. And I think it was at that call where he was formally asked would you take over? Right. He takes that night, talked with his wife, Karen, said, talked about it, prayed about it. And then um, at you, the, what was made clear is unless Jeff said yes, 
Frank maybe wasn't going anywhere this week. That came from Jim, I believe, Monday night. Had Jeff not said yes. Just think about how wild that is. Right. So really, <laughs> and had that leaked out that your job was offered to Jeff Saturday, he said no. Yeah. And now, imagine that. Granted, I'm sure that was only between three people, Jeff Saturday, Chris Ballard, and Jim Ursay at that point. Right. But that timeline, your reaction. I'll, I'll, I'll flip the question back on you. Do you believe it? Do you, do you believe I that do. all this came together in a in a 12 to 24 hour window or or are you I've seen a lot of theories floated out there that Dan Orlovsky who worked with Jeff Saturday sure. at ESPN sure. has done several interviews you know since since all this went down and he talked about all these in-depth conversations that him and Jeff have had about the Colts over the last few weeks and Jeff would ask him questions about X and O's and specifically you know, what he would do to get this team turned around and things of that nature. Um, I've always been one of those people that believe that there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes in sports. Yeah. A lot of strings that get pulled, a lot of a lot of pawns that get moved around that we never know about until it comes to light, but it's been worked on for weeks, months before it happens. I don't know what to believe as far as what the actual timeline is. If, if I believe the whole it, it came together that quickly or if this has been something that's been in the works for a couple of weeks and, and Jim Ursay and Jeff Saturday were finally able to, to come to an agreement this weekend to make it happen. Your thoughts? Frank Reich would have not gotten fired. I think this was pretty much the earliest point you could have fired Frank Reich. After the Tennessee game? I, I still don't buy it. They yeah. Matt Ryan's had three game-winning drives to that point. They have three wins. Uh, no, I'm not buying that there. I do agree with your sentiment that, look, this is business at the end of the day. If you're running a team, you hope for the best, you prepare for the worst. Ursay said it Monday night, you keep names in your pocket. And I think that was his way of saying, we will never know. Is it feasible that Jim through a channel of communications, someone could have tapped Saturday on the shoulder a few weeks ago and said, Hey, things get bad. Jim's going to ask you for help in a big way. So Keep an extra close eye on this team. Yeah. Um, but that wouldn't line up with, well, why aren't you watching the game Sunday then? Right, you know? right. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So I, I don't believe, you know, we're never going to know. And it is what it is at this point. Um, but surely Jeff Saturday has been on the top of 
Jim Irsay's list more than just at five o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I, I think, let's face it, since really that Denver game, everything's been up for debate with this franchise. Sure. And I'm sure that, um, you know, if <laughs> if you wanted to give yourself the best chance of convincing someone, maybe look at it a different way. Is it better to just throw it in their face? You know, they're going to react off of a natural reaction. I love this team. I love this city. I love Mr. Ursay. I would like to coach someday. I'm not going to, hey, need an answer from me in an hour. What do you think? Go. Right. Is that a better way to approach this than, hey, we, Jim may call you in a few weeks. You should think about this. And then you look around like, this is a no-win situation. I, I love these guys, but I'm not going to walk. Maybe it was smarter to just bring, bring. Hey, yeah. you want this job? I need an answer in an hour. I think we'll I'll talk about it. I think I'm with you. I've, I've 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 gone back and forth on both theories about the timeline. Do, do do I believe that this has been something that's been in the works? After listening to Saturday talk yesterday at the at the podium, he strikes me as a pretty honest dude. Like yes. he he doesn't he has not gotten to this part in his career by being some sneaky. You know, yeah, he, he's had to earn everything he's gotten, and he's had to work off his reputation. And yeah, I th- I think it would be unfair to be like, you know, to definitively say there's some yeah. bigger conspiracy here. And really, what's the what's the point? I mean, it's it's football. This is professional sports. You're if you don't pr- perform, you're going to be out. Yeah. And I, I think um, I know what you're saying. Just the bizarre nature of this timeline. It it's a great conversation it's just a hard story to believe right like i mean like you just when you look at it like especially if you're a player in that locker room like imagine i i tell you in in august charlie i'm psychic i can see the future november we're gonna the colts are gonna go to new england have the worst offensive they're gonna set football back offensively (laughs) 50 years frank Reich's gonna get fired and they're going to pull jeff saturday out of the 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 studio the, the studio in bristol and have him come in here with no. no coaching experience other than some small school in Georgia to be the head coach. It's just such a hard thing to wrap your mind around that you you have to let your mind go down different avenues. Like, is this something that's been in the works for for months, for weeks? But I, I'm with you. Ultimately, um, I do think that this is something that came together promptly. I think Ursay um, is clearly getting more impatient as time goes here. We've seen that with some of the decisions that have been made going all the way back to the offseason with with Carson Wentz, right? I mean, obviously the team collapsed last year, um, and you can say what you want about Still Carson's won performance. Nine games. They won nine games. Um, and, you know, if we go back to Christmas last season, people were talking about this team as a Super Bowl contender. Go back to your your Twitter timelines on Christmas Eve. People were talking about... They were about, a sleeper pick in the AFC without question after beating the Cardinals on Christmas night. Team of the future in the AFC, right? And we've seen it all unravel quickly, um, and, it, and it's gone downhill. But I think um, with, each, with each devastating loss, with, with the embarrassment in Jacksonville, um, with the, the, the embarrassment in Jacksonville Part 2... Um, with the the two losses to Tennessee this year, with the the dismantling that we saw on Sunday against the Patriots, I think he's he's continued to grow more and more impatient. And this was kind of the Sunday was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It was, I like that. It was really a five strike system, right? Going back to as you said, 
Um, and he's made changes. Jacksonville, right in last season, he was the guy who called for Carson. He was ultimately the guy who called yes. for Carson Wentz. And I think Ballard. I think Ballard was on did, board with I that. I think he one hundred percent. Yeah, I think 100%. Ballard was on board with that move, and that to me, that's where. That's where it ends with Chris Ballard being on board with Jim Irsay's decisions. I don't think Ballard was on board with benching Matt Ryan. I don't think Ballard was on board with firing Frank Reich. And I certainly don't think Ballard was on board with firing or, or with hiring Jeff Saturday out of ESPN. Your thoughts? It doesn't take a renowned psychologist to watch the press conference on Monday night, reading Chris Ballard's body language, knowing this is important too. What he's normally like at a press conference setting, right? He's been here five plus seasons. We've seen him in great moods, very proud after the Philip Rivers season, taking that team that far, putting Rivers in without an off season, and piecing together an offense that, let's be real, lacked dynamic playmakers. That was Jonathan Taylor's rookie year. That team wins eleven games. They go to Buffalo. They should have beaten the Bills. On wildcard weekend. Yeah. They're, you know, Chris Ballard in most settings is, seems to enjoy himself up there. Um, He'll be reactionary to questions. He'll nod. He'll point out, you know, fair question. He'll push back on something that he thinks BS. Chris Ballard in 40, I think that press conference was 40 minutes on Monday night, did not nod his head in agreement with one thing Jim Irsay said the entire night. Uh, You could see, um, someone who was clearly agitated, who clearly had just fired probably one of his closest friends professionally. Yep. He's been at this 30 plus years. Um, well, and, and Ballard was asked point blank, are you on board with these decisions? And he responded, "Spirit, there have been spirited discussions yes. between Jim Irsay and I. There's no spirited discussion to be had if, if there's agreement. A, Jim Irsay... Pointed to her, oh, it was kind of like debate club where if you took one argument and I could take another, you know, we're so good at debating, we could flip our arguments, we could go back and forth the other way. There was not agreement here. Here, here was the debate. There's no secret. Uh, Chris, I think I'm going to fire Frank. Jim, I can't, I don't do a, a Ballard accent as well as you do it. No. But uh, Jim, please, please, though, like, like, let's, let's, let's take a moment here. Let's run. No, I think I'm going to fire, I think I'm going to fire Frank. And then, you know, at that point, what's, what's and, Chris? Well, Ballard? I don't know, Pete. We aren't going to be able to definitively say if, if the disagreement was about Frank or there yeah. or, okay. All right, let's look at this staff. Who are, what are we going to do? No, no, no. We aren't going to look at the staff. Uh, I've actually already talked to Jeff Saturday twice. He's interested, so let's get Frank in here and uh, you know let's get this. Bo- what to be a to be a fly on the wall for that I, conversation? Now, now maybe you need to leave open the door that after some talking, um, you know, maybe maybe Ballard was convinced to a degree, um, but nothing about Monday night told you that. Chris brought this idea to Jim about bringing Jeff in. Right. I, I just don't, I don't think it's, there's, I don't think it's possible to believe that based on what we saw and what we heard. I think that's, that's the bigger issue. And I think that's, that's the biggest cause for concern moving forward with this franchise, looking ahead, not only to the rest of the season, but next year and the year's. To come, Jim Irsay has always been. You can say what you want, right? When he gets in front of a microphone, he's always been a guy that that's going to make some some statements that people kind of that raise your guard. eyebrows. Yeah. 
Um, whether they're overly optimistic, right. whether, oh gosh, he's that mad about Carson Wentz play. You know, he's, it's, it's not like you're only getting one cut here right. of, Hey, this is a Lombardi. Although I know every preseason you've gotten that. And that's certainly, I think played into, oh gosh, this, we heard this team was going to be X in July. And now there are three wins after nine weeks. And right. At some point that, that puts some, um, that probably puts a little more, uh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going there. You, you don't want that if you're a head coach sure. or a general manager. And, 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 you don't need that. Yeah. He, he's always been good for a sound pie, right? And we got plenty of them on Monday. I mean, that press conference will live in infamy around here for for years to come. Um, Unless the Saturday experiment works. Sure. And then those will fade to the background. But you're right. Yeah, there's some... There's some long-term yeah. material there for but, sure. But the 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 point I'm trying to make is despite despite what he's some of the the things he said in the media over the years, he's always been a guy that I think behind the scenes has been good about letting the people who he's hired to do the job do the job, right? That's the the, the Colts functioned at a really high level um in the in the early 2000s, late 2000s because they they had a great general manager in place, they had a great head coach in place. And Jim didn't interfere, right? Like he's never been the Jerry Jones, um, trying to think of other owners who have maybe the the the, the Mark Davises of the world in in Oakland back in the day. Who Al been, Davis. Al yeah. Davis, excuse me. Um, who have been very, very, you know, hands on, you know, known to make snap decisions like his dad was, like Jim Irsay's dad was back in the day. Who, Granted, the NFL was a different it was. thing then. It was. And I think that's important to point out. I think more owners than there was more wheeling and dealing. Hey, here's six first, you know, here's six picks. Who cares? Um, this is much more of a calculated business than it, it was when Robert Ursay was at the helm. But I would I would argue this is the first time that that Jim Ursay has crossed that line, especially in the middle of the season, to to basically Yes, he's never fired a coach in the middle of the season. So that Yes. To, to basically cut his GM's legs off and his head coach's legs off to some degree, right? Because everything we've read and heard is that that Ursay wanted to see Ellinger. He wanted to, he wanted to see Matt Ryan bench. He wanted to see Ellinger play. Again, I'm in the camp. I don't believe Chris Ballard was on board with firing Frank Reich. Maybe he was, and I certainly don't believe that he was on board with with hiring Jeff Saturday. So assuming yep. those are all Jim Ursay decisions, solely Jim Ursay, I think you've now crossed that line where you know, the next head coach or the next GM, whoever it is that comes in here, who's to say after, you know, if it's going bad the first eight, nine games or year number two or year number three, whatever, that he's not going to step in and make an irrational, impulsive decision like we've seen here. I think that is the that's the bigger issue uh, to me moving forward is, is this going to are we going to continue to see this be a theme? Because I just don't think well-functioning sports franchises NFL franchises, whatever. Um, I don't think that that that's a good way to run any business, um, especially an NFL team. I, I don't. I just don't think that's a good formula for success. And if that's going to be the way it it operates moving forward, um, I think I think there's there should be some legitimate concern from Colts fans about the future of this team under Jim Irsay. You point out something that's important here. When Frank Reich and Chris Ballard were given extensions, not this past summer, but the summer before, Peyton Manning goes into the Hall of Fame. Everyone is there celebrating. Ursay has told this story multiple times. He's sitting with Frank Reich 
watching. I forget who's going in from the Steelers. And he has a bit of an epiphany saying, you know what? I know I have a coach and a GM that I think of above everyone else. I'm going to give them these long-term deals with the thought of I'm following that Steeler blueprint. I don't know if he brought the Packers into it too, of just just a, a set foundation with your pillar at head coach, at GM. You're riding with these guys. You know, there there is cohesion there that, you know, some of the top most storied franchises, specifically Pittsburgh, which he referenced publicly, that, that they've built and it's worked. And there's a tradition there. You know, they've had three coaches since whatever, World War, whatever, Chuck right. Noll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. This is that was his vision. And that's why he's, you know what? People think these extensions are early. This is where I see this thing, you know, as bumpy as it gets, what have you. These are the right two minds. These are the right two people. And this is how we're going to do it. Got to stay in that upper quartile of the upper quartile. Shortly after he drops that quote Monday night, he references, you know what? I've always, he points towards Al Davis. I've always, he, he fits, he said, I've always looked at myself, you know, what would Al say about this? What? So he's gone from one end of the spectrum. Exactly. Two summers ago. Hey, this vision's Pittsburgh camaraderie. It's all about, you know, keeping, keeping the core together through thick and thin. And now Monday night, you're going to the other end. This is Al Davis. What would Al say? What would Al do? That that is what's changed here, Pete. And that goes back to your the argument of, hey, you know what? He's done waiting. He played this slow game. Luck retires. Granted, I think you could argue they played. They tried to play the quick fix game at quarterback, but they played the slow game kind of everywhere else. Building through the draft, no big trades, signings. Hey, let's. Just we got the cap in a good spot. We're we're finding good players. So it's just and now it is, you're right. The question is, what are you willing to be patient about? And I think the majority of Colts fans are are thinking, okay, well, his eyes clearly on the draft and getting the best possible pick. Yeah. This is a nice way to camouflage that. And you you wonder, you you hear it said all the time, just in life in general, like not not even in sports. The older you become, the more you become your parents, right? And I, I, I just wonder if that, um, not to go down a, a completely different no. path, but you know, his his dad was was known for making moves like this in the middle of the season. His dad once fired basically the entire assistant coaching staff without the knowledge <laughs> of the head coach after after a game that you know were basically a similar situation. His team got embarrassed. He went in the locker room. He fired the whole staff except the head coach. Um, and and his, his father was known for kind of these impulsive decisions. And Jim has been, for his entire career, essentially owning the Colts in this position. 27 years. He's been the exact opposite. I think he's made it a point to be the exact opposite. And now you wonder just if that impatience and that impulsiveness is starting to set in more and more. He's not getting any younger, right? And you, you wonder how many, how many more cracks he's going to have at this thing. And maybe it's just starting to get to a point where he's like, all right, I got to I got I got to I got to get my fingerprints more on this. I got to start, you know, making more of these calls, making more of these decisions and owning this franchise a little bit more. Um, And I don't think he's necessarily trying to be more like his dad, but that's that's what it feels like. And this is coming from someone who wasn't around in that era. But you listen to people who were and it sounds really similar. 
it is to some degree still a small sample size. It is, I mean, yeah. You, you moved out a quarterback that, let's face it, I think threw for 200 plus yards like twice over the final eight weeks of last season. It's fair. You brought in a quarterback that on paper with a proper offensive line and the league's best rushing attack, it made sense. You can win from the pocket with Matt Ryan. That was the blueprint. And coming in this summer, that made sense. Um, but yes, now this is different. This is this is a coach, again, going back from what you just said a summer and a half ago, you know, there was a completely different vision. And um, you look at the numbers, yes, they are the worst offense in football through nine weeks. A, a lot of coaches would get let go given the expectations. Yep. Um, but knowing how the locker rooms reacted, um, knowing that Frank Reich had not lost the locker room, I think that is we can definitively say that. We'll I see. I don't think I don't think he had gotten there. Would it have gotten there? Yeah. Uh, it could have. Very much, you know, another loss on the road, another ugly raw loss, and certainly human nature is setting in and you know, you're you're starting to worry maybe more a bit about yourself. Yeah. The wins and losses the rest of the year. If they go out, I, I don't think he lost the locker room either. But if they go out this weekend and, and somehow play really well and beat Vegas, I mean, I don't I don't think the X's and O's are changing. I mean, Parks Frazier is going to run Frank Wright's system, right? I mean, he's yeah. not going to invent a new offense on the fly. No, that's so why the, he's in the position. The X's and O's aren't going to change offensively, you've got the line that you've got. You're not going to go trade for it. I mean, trade deadlines passed. You've got the, you've got the team that it's you've funny. got. We're looking at there, there, there's, there's two teams right now. We're really leaving the defense out of yeah, put this them, conversation. Put aside, right. You're right. It is what effort does the offense play with? That right. is the number one question on Sunday. And if they go out and play really well, you, you, you kind of have to question if Frank did maybe lose at least that part of the locker room. You know, maybe, maybe guys offensively weren't necessarily trusting um, his vision and things that he he was um, we've he seen was doing. tea leaves of that what Michael Pittman Jr. said after the loss right. in Tennessee they right. need to trust us they need to trust it downfield passing I just you know how much of this is coaching and the rah rah and the other than you cannot run a functional offense if you can't block that's what I go back to you just it doesn't matter if your quarterback can scramble or if he's a statue let me ask you this on that on that note um, were you surprised. I mean, I, I know you were surprised in general that that Frank got fired. Yes. Um, taking it to another level, were you surprised that Chris Ballard didn't go out the door with him? And as no. a follow-up to that, do you believe Chris Ballard deserves to be and will be the general manager of this team next season? It's a great question. I think it remains to be seen. I don't think you can put any heavy bet given on what we've seen the last month about who's going to be here and who isn't. Um, I think that Jim Irsay has to know if I dismiss Chris Ballard, the rhetoric around the league is, do you really want to take that job? Like these were two very respected people in all circles. I think that might already be the rhetoric around the league. I think it is. I mean, if, if, if what, what we think is true that Jim Irsay essentially cut Chris Ballard's legs off with some of these decisions, well, there's got to be people around the league looking at that saying, why would I want to go work for this dude? Well, and that's why there is people are like, oh, it's a win-win with Jeff Saturday. You know, if it doesn't work out, you know, everything's still cool for Jeff Saturday. And I agree with that personally. It's, it's a, he has nothing to lose. But from the organizational standpoint, if he would have just promoted from within 
you could have saved a lot of these outside opinions. And I think people say, oh, it's not a risk with Saturday. No, it is. Because if this gets even uglier or stays the way it is, right. the thought of, you know, it just, the complexion of this story looks a lot different uh, with that hire. Yeah, if this goes if this goes south, even more south than it already is, which is hard to imagine, but if this thing continues to go south, you're really going to lose that locker room. I mean, there's going to be guys in that locker room who you got signed for the next two, three, four years that are that are going to start to question, like, what are we doing here? Like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a you got a major problem on your hands because now now the entire culture yeah. is tarnished. Yeah, I, I I felt like still from a maybe I'm dead wrong here, but from a like a culture standpoint, from like a a competitive standpoint, it felt like they were still in a pretty good place. Like offensively they couldn't move this the ball. This defense can win a playoff game. 100%. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Offensively they couldn't they couldn't figure out a way to move the ball. But it didn't feel like lack of effort or lack of uh, sure, surely there was some lack of confidence there at the end, but I, I thought the game plan on Sunday was as hesitant of a game plan you will ever see in the National Football League. It's what Bill Belichick will do to you. That looked like a yeah. week 16, we've been eliminated, we're playing the third string. I'm out there to get guys reps, keep guys healthy, and get the heck out of here. The amount of, you know, the 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 early down play calling, I thought that's what broke the camel's back in Jim Irsay's mind is this isn't even this effort is is unacceptable. Yeah. He mentioned it Monday. You don't just lose, it's the way you lose. And had they played that game competitively, or at least competitively in the second half. Different conversation. I don't think Frank Reich's out of a job. No, I don't think so either. It was, I think that maybe that's why he's like coming out of the locker room. I want to watch the last snap of this. And I want to see this at the very end. And there was no pulse. And that's, I own this team. We have pride here. And that was not a prideful performance. And that's it. And that's the other thing. That was it. That's the other thing I've been wondering. Not to excuse anything we saw offensively. Again, to reiterate. Quite literally the worst offensive performance in Indianapolis Colts franchise history. Two yards per play. Um, from an efficiency standpoint. From an efficiency yeah, standpoint. We've seen worse games with sure. turnovers. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they've been goose-egged a couple times. They yeah. scored three points. Give them credit for that, I guess. Um, is is there just a... Was there a massive overreaction from Jim Irsay based on what he saw Sunday? Because you go back the week before, they're one or two plays away from beating Washington, right? One they should have won that game. They had two um, fourth downs. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and then you go into New England. How, how many times last week did, did we talk about Bill Belichick versus first-year quarterbacks? Like, we, we, we knew Sam Ellinger was going to be up against it on Sunday. We've seen this movie time 20, yeah, and time and again. Six. Josh Allen looked terrible against the Patriots his, rookie, his, his first year against him. Probably his second year against him, too. Like That needs to be taken into thought. B- Bill Belichick is... Probably the easier wins of his career was Sunday. And you're right. It's added to the list. There's been great quarterbacks who have yeah. who have faltered. He is probably the greatest football As coach rookies. of all time. Probably the greatest football coach of all time. Yes. Frank got, got his butt kicked by the greatest football coach of all time on Sunday. It's happened to a lot of guys when they go in there with first-year quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, it's I think it's fair to, to question if – the the move to fire Frank was it an overreaction if it was based just solely on that game and I think there were there were certainly other components to it mm-hmm. but if that was the straw that broke the camel's back maybe maybe take want? a step back breathe a little and say okay 
we were starting a kid who was playing his second career game on the road against a top five defense in the NFL, against one of the greatest defensive minds of all time, with no Jonathan Taylor, with one of the worst offensive lines in the league. What did you expect to happen? And how is that Frank Reich's fault? What we do know for fact is that step back didn't happen because yeah. these calls were already happening hours after the game was over. This decision was made Monday morning. This wasn't a Wednesday decision. So you bring up great points, but what we know is that maybe that figurative step back happened. Clearly that came up in this conversation at some point, but that physical step was never taken back because they didn't wait on this decision. Back to, back to, to the forward. I, I don't. I think we got off on a little bit of a different path here. Chris Ballard. Yeah, I, GM next season. I just, it's not fair to put anything on that. I, Ursay said, of course, yes, but can't believe anything that guy says now. I just don't. There's half a season left. There's not two games left. There's not a month left where the writing's on the wall here. They're, they have eight games. You have eight games left. <laughs> there's there's way too much left here. And I, I would think my, if you were to ask me right now, I think he is back because I think he has not lost the trust of Jim Ursay. He has found talent and developed it. We need to look at the defense. Look at what Quiddy Pay did on Sunday. Okay, there's there are players. He was quick to point that out too, Ballard on Monday. Yeah. Defense is playing well. And that's fair. It is fair. I would say the same thing. I'd agree. And I think he could have overset, you know, this defense is, he should have said, this defense is good enough to win a playoff game. You know, this, but I, I would, um, I would say he is back. I would. Does he deserve but, to be? Well, you got to ask Colts fans that. They're the ones, they're the ones ponying up. I, I would think. You need to realize the reality you're in. For 20 years in Indianapolis, you have not had this quarterback dilemma. Welcome to reality in the National Football League. Yeah. It can look ugly when you don't have that spot figured out. It doesn't mean you stink at your job. It doesn't mean you don't know anything anymore. At some point, you're going to have to ask yourself, okay, yeah, I think this team's pretty good. You know, do I do I want to act in, you know, anger and totally detonate this or do I want to admit that you know what I might have to sit through a couple bad seasons to get a young quarterback and maybe you know maybe everyone is doing their job the right way and that's just the way it has to go because you've gone down the other path of bringing a name that gives you credibility to play under quarterback even though maybe his style is outdated you're done with that now yeah you're done you can't can't do it Bring out and the hashtags. Have to play a rookie quarterback next year, unless Sam Ellinger shows you. I don't know what other road they'll be able to go down. And and at this point that we we can go down this road too. How how on earth could you possibly get a fair evaluation of Sam Ellinger with what he's going to be faced with over the next eight games? Like, well, the thought is they are healthy. So John Taylor looks like he's going to be back this week. The offensive line is healthy. Doesn't matter if they're healthy. Pittman's out there. Your tight ends are a little banged up. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, Pete. I, you have, you've, these coaches have been here. I mean, I get it. It's three offensive coordinators in three weeks to start at Sam Ellinger's career. Right. I, I'm willing to bet that has never happened in the history of the National Football League. Right. Um, 
and he's going to be working moving forward with a guy in Parks Frazier who could be Boy Wonder, right? He could be the next Sean McVay for all we know. Who has worked with Ellinger since day one he got in the building. Absolutely. Ellinger said it yesterday. He taught me the offense. We right. were the two guys in the cafeteria in whatever room when people are sleeping. He's the guy sitting next to me. Right showing me what this offense is inside and out. And that's why I think this move to Parks Frazier actually makes sense. Never called plays before though. So you, you got to start somewhere. You've got no you idea. Do it once. You got no idea what you're getting with him. And you're still playing behind the worst offensive line in the league. I don't worst offense in general. Unless Jeff Saturday comes in here and just snaps a finger and all of a sudden the offensive line is, is back to normal, which if that's the case, then you start to question, okay, why was Chris Strauser not fired? Several weeks ago. Well, on Saturday said yesterday, hey, how much he was asked, how much input are you going to have in the offensive lines? Really, I'm going to let Strasser do his thing. I, obviously, it's my passion. I'll give input. But I think one of the big things with Jeff Saturday, how do you come in Sunday? You were hired five days ago. How do you criticize a professional coach or player in the moment, in the heat of the battle? Is it cool to do that? Or do you say, hey, this week I'm essentially a motivational speaker. I'm letting everybody do their thing. Can you go up and get in somebody's grill and say, hey, what are you doing? Right? What are you telling me? You got here four days ago. I almost think that's what Ursay is looking for, right? Like he talked about in that press conference, the, the toughness and the culture and bringing all that back. And I saw some people float this out and I kind of agree with it that it almost seems like Ursay, one, he's 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 trying to hold on to the glory days, right? Like he wants to recreate that so badly, what they had with Polian and who won Dungeons. Right. One of the more perfect situations in the history of it's exactly what you want in the world. Right. You're, right. You're, you're chasing that, but everybody's chasing that. Everybody in the league wants course. you know, Reed and Mahomes. It's human and, nature. Right. Um but does part of him look at what Tennessee has with Mike Vrabel, right? The former player, yeah. the tough guy. Not afraid hey, to challenge. You watched it up close for five years. All about toughness. I think what we saw on Sunday was a perfect embodiment of where both of these franchises are at right now. Colts go on the road with a quarterback making his second career start, and they get embarrassed by an average to to you know okay Patriots team. Mm-hmm. Titans go on the road with a guy making his second career start, a guy Malik Willis that really has shown no ability to throw the ball at the NFL level, mm-hmm. and they're winning that game on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs for the majority of it, and they lose in overtime. And I wonder if Jim Ursay perhaps watched that and has seen what Mike Vrabel has done with lesser talent. Like we all believe, for the most part, if you go back like like for Frank's tenure and and Mike Vrabel's tenure from a talent standpoint, the Colts have been at least equal to or exceeding the Titans. And yet every year the Titans come in here and they beat the Colts and every year the Titans win the division. And you wonder if Ursay looks at what they have from a leadership standpoint in Vrabel, the way he's not afraid to get in guys' faces and challenge them and and that just that former that kind of that tough guy in the room, if that's kind of what he's looking for in Jeff Saturday, if that makes sense. Two things. Jim Mercer and Chris Ballard did not have time to watch that Sunday night game. <laughs> if this actually came together, no, as we were told, there wasn't TV on sitting feet up. Oh, man, look at yeah. look at Vrabel, what he's doing. That's it. That, no, that's fair. There, there were no, I don't think they saw a play of that game. Um, I do love the comparison, the toughness, the edge, the former player, the link to the past. It all makes sense. Um why Tennessee was able to do that, A, obviously they had Derrick Henry and they were able to run the ball. The Colts have used that script, Marlon Mack with right. Jacoby Brissett in 19. Yeah. But you're right. The 
watching Frank Reich on the sidelines, even when things unraveled like they did this year, Frank, his DNA, his personality, he is not going to start going around ripping heads off. He is not going to start screaming at people. Nope. Frank Reich, very outside of talking to the quarterback when he's coming off the field, a little chat. Frank Reich does very little walking around. There was no gathering of players, chew them out. I thought the one thing you could notice is Frank Reich towards after early week two, him his arguing with officials went up multiple notches. I'd agree with that. Frank often, I, I'm sure as an official, you would love to get Frank Reich because he knows if he's going to get mad at you, it'll be a conversation and not just a screen, you know, getting chewed out. Uh, that would that started to change a little bit. I think that was the one thing you saw on the sideline where his demeanor changed. And you're right. I think that, I don't think that sat well with Jim Mercy. I think why are why are we saying this is okay? Why are we not? Well, you need to know the person you have. Frank Reich's a very unique character, and um, you know, obviously a tremendous human being. That's just not. He's never going to do that. Right. And this is, that's why I thought if you would have promoted Ventrone, you would have seen the ops, you would have seen a pit bull on the sidelines. Bubba Ventrone is like that, specifically when his special teams unit is doing something. He's flying up and down the sidelines. He is, as you saw, remember the Patriots game last year when they blocked the kick. I mean, he's ready to run on the field and celebrate that TD with those guys. That would have solved that problem. And given, you know, you could, you would have at least had the, the stand to speak on of this guy's been here. He right. knows you. Right. He's in this foxhole with you. You know, follow him out. Um, and, you know, Jeff Satter is pretty much going to use the same speech, but it's just different because these guys were all six, seven years old when he was playing here. I get his names up there. I've seen him on ESPN. Sounds like a great guy, but at the end of the day, he hasn't been on this team. And he's got no resume to speak of coaching-wise. He's got as much coaching experience as most of the guys playing in that locker room, right? Like, I mean, granted, high school coach for for a couple years. I guess that's more than 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 uh, most of the guys have coached um, in their in their respective careers, but at least if you had promoted a Ventrone or a Bradley or someone who's been in the league for a while that the players could at least look at it and say, all right, this guy's got a, he's got a resume. He's sure. got a history in this league. You know, he knows what's going on from a week to week preparation standpoint. And look, they talk through all this. This isn't, we aren't throwing stuff out there. Right. That isn't, this is common. This is top of mind. You know, this is not in-depth analysis here. Um, but that's the decision they made. Yeah. Yeah, and you you have to wonder, like they, some of the players talked yesterday. There, I think there are going to be some more that that talk today um, before practice. And the ones that talked yesterday said what you would expect them to say, right? You know, they, it's a great they, locker room. It I mean, is. They they have not. There have not been really any missteps. If you were running the PR team over there, I mean you you're thanking Chris Ballard and you're you're thanking the players for taking the high road on. On a lot of this. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of them blame themselves for Frank. Quentin Nelson was very hard on himself for uh, Frank being fired. Um, I think some other guys took that approach. Um, but you just wonder, like, 
closed door when the, when the locker room doors are closed when the media is not in there when the cameras aren't in there like, what's... read the captions on instagram you can read between the lines yeah these players are playing for themselves on sunday yeah they're not playing you know no one's gonna say it but this is a hey now it's us versus almost not the guys upstairs but it's that feeling of it's just us guys like we're it is it is if you have a number on your back and if, you know, you like your position coach, you know, hey, you're in this boat with us and really everybody else, you know, and I think, I think the beauty of Jeff Saturday is if they win in Vegas, that's going to be an awesome locker room. He's going to give them all the credit. This is not going to be about Jeff Saturday, the final eight weeks of the season. He, he is going to make this about the players in wholeheartedly. It's not going to be BS. Yeah. He's that kind of a guy. I think his intentions are good. I totally, I totally do. Yeah. Um, I just feel like he's, if, if you're really looking to get an evaluation on Sam Ellinger, and if you're really looking to get an evaluation on Jeff Saturday, I feel like both are being set up for failure over the next eight weeks. Like if this isn't a total tank job, like some out there think it is. And, we we dismissed tanking theories a couple weeks ago when they when they benched Matt Ryan and they promoted Sam Ellinger. Um, I think the the tanking theories have have you know multiplied by a hundred and then some um, with these decisions. And I I do think now it's fair to have that conversation of like okay like what what's going on here. Um, but if you're if you're not tanking the season, which Jim Irsay was adamant about, you you can't say anything publicly. You can't. There's right. And you can't ask guys to lose like no. Jeff's you, you can't you can't no. call Jeff Saturday it's Jeff I need to lose these next eight games no. I need a top five pick here because then I think Jim's got too much love and respect for Saturday to put him in that position no and there's too many guys in that locker room who are veteran players um, who have grinded you know their entire career to be in a position to be on a right. winner right and and you're asking them to go out there I and truly think in, in Jim Irsay's heart he thought this gave them the best chance Short-term and long-term, it gives him the highest probability of somehow turning around this season. And it also, let's let's be fair, it gives him the highest probability of going the other way too. Yeah. As we've said, probably the worst thing that can happen to the Colts the next month is they go 4-4. Four and four. So I looked at the, at the numbers on this. Uh, Football Outsiders gives the Colts about a 5% chance to make the playoffs, a 6% chance to make the playoffs, 5% chance to win the division. Yeah. They give him a 33% chance to have a top five pick. Yeah. So that I mean that kind of tells you what what the I mean the, the odds are stacked against this team as far as having any legitimate chance to make a run at the postseason. Um, you're much more likely to finish in the top five of the draft, which which really probably is what you want, right? Like if if Saturday comes in here, and I just I have a hard time. What you want is Ted Lasso in this team, <laughs> yeah. winning, getting a wild card berth, and it's the story of it'd the be the year. greatest story. One of yeah, his greatest in NFL history. Want, yeah. But you're going to need to go six and two or seven and one for that to happen. Yes. And you look at their schedule, Philadelphia at Dallas, at Minnesota, the Chargers at the Giants. It's it almost seems impossible to comprehend them winning more than three or four games. Mm-hmm. And even that seems optimistic. Um, but I think that's almost the worst thing that can happen. Right. Is Jeff Saturday comes in here. They find a way to go four and four in his tenure. They finish. What would that be? Seven? Not. Uh, let's Pete, see. If they go four and four, I think Jeff Satter is your coach next year. And do you want that? I don't know. Right. I, I don't know if you're. You got to ask. I think Colts fans, one of their own. I. <laughs> I think that would be a pretty popular choice. 
externally. Right. But we've seen this happen so many times before though, right? Where the interim comes in, it's all flowers, it's all roses, the emotion in the locker room. Las Vegas last year, that guy gets to the playoffs. Right. And he's out. Right. And And now you have a coach that Derek Carr, if you watched his presser on Sunday, clearly, let's make this clear. The Las Vegas Raiders are in a worse spot than the Indianapolis Colts record-wise and from even despite everything that happened this week. You have a young franchise quarterback that you've paid and you have a coach that you've just paid. Yeah. And after eight games, it appears they can't stand each other. Calling for their, I mean, fans are calling for McDaniel's head eight games into into it. So perspective on this, I know we we always say, oh, we're in the bubble. You, you do need to zip yourself out sometimes and look around and say, oh gosh, there are some other pretty underwhelming stories this year in the NFL. Let's go back in the bubble. The Colts and the Raiders are right at the top of the list. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. And again, I, I just go back to, um, Again, if you're not tanking, if this is a legitimate like move to try to save the season, save the franchise, I just feel like Saturday being put in this position is being set up for failure. I feel like Ellinger's being set up for failure. I don't know how you get a fair evaluation of either of those guys given the circumstance that that both are going to be in. If someone would fire back and say, my guy, it's the NFL. There is no fair sure. evaluation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's bottom line it's business. Bull, you are walking out. Right. And the bullets are flying from your first snap until Tom Brady walks away 24 years later. Trust me, they're still flying at him. And you need, at the end of the day, <laughs> you need the best players. Yeah. You need the best players to win. I don't I don't think if Bill Belichick is walking into this team, you know, I don't what are they? Are they a are they a wild card team? Are they a one win team no. in the postseason? No. I as much and, time and effort we're gonna talk about this coaching thing. You know, you you need the horses. Yeah, and that, and that's why I go back to, I I really wonder if the wrong guy was let go when you look at Chris Ballard versus Frank Reich. And I I just I just look at the way the offensive line has deteriorated. I, I look at the way the offense has deteriorated. You look at Frank Reich's first few years here. Other than the Jacoby Brissett year, they were a top half of the league offense every year. The Jacoby Brissett year, they were like nineteenth in offense yeah. DVOA. Um. Did he forget how to coach football? Did Chris Strasser, who was considered one of the best offensive line coaches in the league for the last couple of years, did he forget how to coach football? Or did Chris Ballard let Mark Lewinsky and Chris Reed and Eric Fisher walk and Jack Doyle retire and replace those pieces with uh, Matt Pryor, who had never played left tackle before, at least as a full-time starter, Danny Penner, who had never played right guard in his life, plug those two guys in, it's gone terribly because, and, and then you draft Ryman and he's not ready to play. And you've got guys backing up Pinner who aren't very good. And you just look at the, at the way the offensive line has regressed. And obviously Quentin Nelson hasn't played as well. And Ryan Kelly hasn't played as well. But the part of that has to be because of the areas. Kelly's trying to make up for the guy on his right. And Nelson's trying to make up for the guy on his left. That has to be a huge part of it. And None of the tight ends, you, you didn't go out and, and get a blocking tight end to replace Doyle. Like Granson's a, a, a pass catching tight end. Woods, that's a, you know, he's a throw it up in the red zone kind of guy. Mo Ali Cox has never been an elite blocker. So you lose an elite blocker and you don't replace it. And I don't think it's any, it's any wonder 
that this offensive line, because of all those moves, has gone from one of the best in the league to one of the worst in the league. They can't run the football. They can't protect. They're on pace for 70-some sacks. And I look at that, and I feel like Ballard's more responsible than Reich. Because, again, I don't think Frank Reich forgot how to coach football, and I don't think the rest of the league all of a sudden looked at this and said, all right, we, we figured out what Frank's doing now. Like, we're going we're gonna to completely shut this mess down. Um, I think the offensive line has regressed so badly because of the pieces that they lost and failed to replace adequately um, that, that basically the foundation of the team has crumbled. And I put that on Chris Ballard. He would come back and say this. Well, I had to go get a quarterback. You know, I, I sure I, you guys have been yelling at me about wide receivers, about edge rush and make the trade for Ngakwe, draft a tight end, draft a wide receiver. Pretty much said it Monday night. He fired back, yeah. With language there, we can't use on in here. In fairness to Chris Ballard, there were no signs of regression from a run blocking standpoint on that offensive line last year. Right. Um, where that has happened over the summer, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, everyone on that line has regressed. Braden Smith earlier in the season, maybe he's come back a little bit. He would say, you guys told me, you know, Jack Doyle's a nice story. He's a nice guy. He didn't mean anything. He's, you know, he's gone. You weren't, you weren't crying at me when Jack Doyle retired. You weren't crying at me when the Eagles went out and signed Zach Paschal. You know, they have not been able to block on the outside. I haven't seen these viral videos of Michael Pittman Jr. running guys into the ground 20 yards downfield, you know, not turning around, caring about where the play actually is. Yeah. They're they have not, how many runs have you seen to the outside this year? I do, I do think it's they, fair to point out um, I, Alec Pierce, I think, is graded out well from a run blocking okay. standpoint this year. He's been good. And I appreciate your numbers there because you those are important. As you said, you, you have to have substance here. The blocking from every man on that field has regressed. Right. And the pass protection last year, not great. I mean, you're saying, all right, why'd you let Eric Fisher go? We... We were sitting here at the end of last year saying, how can you bring Eric Fisher back? He's so bad. From you a know? pass blocking yes. standpoint, he was. Yes. Um, but he was, a, he was a road grader in yeah. the run game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The failure here was two years ago when Costanzo right. retires. I believe Charles Leno's out there. You had Taron Armstead was was this past offseason. Right. And you know, you don't have infinite piggy banks. We've talked about that before. You knew you were gonna need money to re-sign Quentin Nelson. That happens the night before this season kicks off. Uh, you know, there's only so much to spread around there. Um and you know, Danny Pinner. Had played well 
in backup duty at center, but it never he played to guard. right guard. Right. And now yeah. he's not playing. Yeah. Um, and, and not only is he not playing, I think this is how badly, and I like Danny Penner. Like I, I, he went he's to Ball boy. State, covered him, in, covered him in college. I like all these guys. I think, you know, Matt Pryor's a nice guy. There's, right. These guys are all likable. Yeah. Pieces. They, they fit the Ballard mold of, you know, they're not going to be, these guys have been saying about as, you know, handling this as about well as they can publicly when knowing the back of their minds, they know we stink. Right. We right. stink. And, and, and how bad does, how bad did they miss on Penner if at the beginning of the year they thought he was their starting right guard and, and you fast forward to nine weeks into the season Matt Pryor got benched at right guard on Will Saturday. And who do they bring in? They Will bring Fries. in Will Fries. Tells you so, everything you need to know. So Penner has about gone. How much they missed that. Right. Penner's gone from starter to third string behind a guys behind two guys in Pryor and Fries who also haven't been very good at that position this year. So I think that tells you they they essentially whiffed on that spot. Yeah. They whiffed on left tackle. And like you said, the funds aren't infinite, but it's Chris Ballard's job to figure it out and to put guys in those position, uh, those positions. Um, who can not only do their job, but but continue to to add to the foundation of this team. Like this team was built to win up front, mm-hmm. and that that's what it all comes down to. Is not only have they not been winning up front this year, they've been getting dismantled, and because of that, we see where they're at offensively on pace to be the worst offensive team the NFL has seen since the 2018 Arizona Cardinals, which by the way ended up with the uh, with the number one pick, Kyler and they got Murray. Kyler Murray out of that. So maybe that's, that's a not good going sign too for the well either, right? right? That's not, but you'd rather have him. Than, They're up there with the Raiders and the Colts is the three, maybe three of the biggest disappointments. Let me ask you, sure. which uh, which hashtag do you think we see more of? Do you think we see more suck for Stroud, <laughs> be bad for Bryce, lose for Levis? I te- um, you which of the you can you can reveal what I texted you right when this news came down. I go Pete. Bryce Young off the board one, CJ Stroud off the board two. Who's the third best quarterback in this draft? Because you aren't getting one or two. You know what's interesting? CJ Stroud, according to I think Caesar Falling. Sportsbook, no, he's now the favorite. Really? To be the number one pick in the draft ahead of Bryce Young. <sighs> we have so much yeah. time to talk about that. Let's yeah. leave that for another episode. <laughs> yeah. Peter Hood, all Indiana bets this weekend. We'll be going to Vegas. Uh, AC and Angela have done an incredible job all week with all the stuff. We'll catch you tonight. Bye. Check out more podcasts from the All Indiana Podcast Network now at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. All.